This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And Taylor, I, I hesitate to even ask after having read your Patreon post this morning about the goat, amongst other things, how is, how is, um, what's the goat's name again? Is it Ferrari, Ferrari. or Tripod? Ferrari, okay. Ferrari. How is little Ferrari? Well, you know, words are not the only things that are being kicked in the butt. What can I say? <laughs> she's <laughs> she, she's doing okay, I guess. So far, so good. But for those of you who are listening who are not already patrons of the show, Ferrari is my, I think she's five months old now, five months old goat, the one that I personally saved her life by delivering her because she was in the frank breach position and her mom could not birth her and we have no idea how long they were like that before I found her. She broke her leg or someone <laughs> broke her leg for her, I would assume. One of the bigger goats maybe. Don't know how it happened. Didn't see it happen. Didn't hear it happen. Just found her yelling her head off, which yelling is not unusual for her so it didn't seem any different until she didn't come running with everybody else to get the food that night and found her with her leg sort of just popped out from the knee just <laughs> kind of out at the side and it was one of those things you're like great now what because there really aren't that many places you can go to get something like that taken care of because most medical things for farm animals are really handled by the people who are raising them either out of their own experience or shared collective wisdom from others in the area who've been raising animals for generations or whatever. And so, you know, trying to figure out where to take her was kind of difficult because you have a very limited window when there's a broken limb to get it set properly because after 24 hours its body starts to start the healing process is already starting and if the, if the bone is in the wrong position then getting it set can be a lot more complicated and normally like broken legs and things like that on goats and sheep and roosters whatever it, it's it you don't most people try and do it themselves that they they'll you'll You'll say something like, you know, what do I do? And you'll get 50 people saying, ah, just splint it. But this wasn't the type of break that you could just splint. This was something bad, like either at the joint or whatever. I mean, I didn't know at the time, but I know now that it happened in the knee right above the growth plate. So just finding a vet that could take her was really, it was kind of, I lucked out in finding somebody by chance that, had an opening and yeah, said just, yeah, bring her in. And she ended up going just like a normal dog and cat clinic, but 
but one of the vets there actually is a farm vet who deals with farm animals. And uh, when they realized that Ferrari was still really young, we weren't talking about bringing in like 150 pound, you know, billy goat or something. They're like, yeah, just bring her in. We'll, we'll take care of her here. So I got really, really lucky. But it's <laughs> luck is relative in that sense. The broken leg all messed up like that. Not lucky at all. And so, yeah, she's the, the main concern was that because of the break and we didn't know how long it had been, they had a really hard time getting it to stay. Like every time they would get it aligned, if they would let go, the, leg, the, the joint would just pop right back out of place. <laughs> and they were working with supplies that they would have used for dogs. And so they wanted to put a hard cast on, couldn't because of the shape of the leg. They wanted to put bracing on both sides of the leg, couldn't because of the shape of the leg. So she ends up with just a brace going down the inside of the back leg and then a lot of just really heavy duty bandaging and wrapping. And and then once we got her home, I needed to duct tape, put a, basically create a duct tape boot onto that so that mud and straw and everything wasn't going to get shoved up inside the brace. So the the main concern was, was it going to hold? Because if it had been a normal break, it wouldn't have been a problem. But because the knee kept trying to pop back out at that weird angle, the issue was don't want her putting any pressure on that leg, don't want her running, don't want her jumping, don't want her doing anything that might cause the brace to not hold and then the leg goes back out so i i don't know how long it's been maybe four days now and so far the leg is the, the brace is held so i'm feeling a little hopeful she'll go back in for an evaluation in a few days and i think they're going to x-ray it again or something and just check it and if that's the case then i maybe can let her at least <laughs> be in the company of other goats <laughs> which is <laughs> They just, they do not know how to be gentle. So she's a very sad goat right now. Goats do not do well when they're alone and it's so pitiful. And so I, I did a setup where she could at least be close to other goats, even though she wasn't in with them. And I'm hoping that if everything goes, she's still not happy with that, but happier. So I'm hoping that if everything goes well with this next evaluation that she can at least be allowed to go out and graze and, and stuff. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. But so one just like, come on, little goat, you've already had all the crises in your life. Can we please just have smooth sailing from here on out? <laughs> and you develop such personal relationships with some of your animals. It's like you delivered this goat and then there's Francis and then there, yeah, it just, it's, it's unusual. I have a hard time wrapping my brain around it sometimes. Not all the animals are equal in my eyes. I don't want the, anybody to get hurt. I don't want anybody to be in pain or to suffer or to have bad things happen to them. But some I care about a whole lot more if something happens to them. Like there's other goats out there in that pasture that I would be sad if they passed. But if this little goat, something happens to her, <laughs> that's different. So that's why she went in and got her leg fixed at the hospital instead of, oh, anyway. Instead of the duct tape Expensive. fix that you were probably going to Yes, <laughs> or, or splinting or whatever else, you know, like, ah, well, she can be a tripod for the rest of her life, you know. No, she's got to get fixed. 
All right. So that very inelegantly brings us to today's topic, which is totally unrelated to animal husbandry or or veterinarians or duct tape or any of that. But we're going to be talking about translations today. And this all came from a listener question, right? Yes. So this question came from Nancy, who is a longtime listener, longtime fan, patron, and also one of the amazing volunteers, one of very few who's working on the audio project of taking these podcasts and sort of categorizing them because we kind of tend to go, even if we're talking about a specific subject on one episode, it'll often branch off into other things. And so this small handful of amazing listeners is going through them one by one and sort of trying to catalog the subjects so that we can eventually create a database, database, database out of them and the information can be more useful. And um, Nancy is one of those amazing people. And Nancy, I know you're listening. So thank you very, very much for that. You have just no idea how big of a deal that is. The question, which I actually received a few different questions, but this one is the one I'm going to talk about right now, which has to do with translations. And Nancy gave me permission to use her email to me. She didn't write it in specifically for the podcast, but was just giving me her thoughts. And I was like, those are just amazing. I, I want to talk about this on the show. She gave me permission to use her email and I've kind of tiny bit touched it up and edited it just for ease of listening. So I'm going to read to you this subject and question on translations. So she says, the heart is a book about a young man who dies in an accident. We meet his parents, medical personnel, and the person who receives his heart. It sounds so depressing and I wouldn't have read it had my book club not selected it. It treats everyone with such compassion and understanding. It's beautifully written. The English version is a translation of the original French, and the translator is given credit on the book cover. I can only assume that the French version is as beautifully written as the English. While the translator didn't write the book, he is very responsible for its words. I read another book, I forget the title, where the translator also was given credit on the book cover. This makes me wonder how much translations are similar to and different from the original. I know your books have been translated into many languages. Has anyone ever commented about reading a book in two languages and finding them very different or very similar? And the, uh, yeah, so that, that is her question. So I thought it was just a really great subject all together. I, as far as the, the question itself is, if, if anyone has ever commented about reading a book in two languages or finding them very different or similar, I myself personally have not received any comments like that from any readers directly. My books have been translated into, I don't know, maybe two dozen languages. So there are a lot of foreign readers who do write me asking if there will be the next book in the series in their language. Because in some cases, like maybe only the first book got translated into whatever, or the first two. Or and so they're asking, will there be more? And that's something that I never have any control over. It always has to do with foreign publisher, one feeling like it was worth it, or they didn't feel like maybe 
the subsequent novels would appeal to enough of an audience because every country has its own reading culture of, of what those readers, what appeals to them. There's, it's, it's interesting, really interesting in looking at all this and in having conversations with my agent about it, for example, thrillers, what I write are very, very popular in say Germany, but it's really hit or miss if they're going to be picked up in like Turkey or, you know, Brazil. So I will get questions from readers saying, you know, is there going to be the next one or readers saying, you know, I really loved this one, but if it's not going to be available in my language, then I'll just try and struggle through and read it in English. So from that, I can surmise that there hasn't been necessarily disappointment from readers in terms of the experience that they've had reading my books in foreign languages. Hopefully, fingers crossed, knock on wood. Because as with so many things in the publishing industry, I have no control <laughs> over how it's translated, who's translating it. I just have to trust that they know what they're doing. But I have had a couple of funny stories that have arisen where the translators or the publishers have gotten with me directly to answer questions about things that they didn't really understand what a thing meant or just trying to, to get to the heart of something so they, they, could, they could translate it correctly. And in the case of the Hebrew translation, the translator got with me because he felt that the name of one of the characters wasn't really the best fit. And, and, and it was funny because when I had chosen that name, I don't speak the language and I just kind of picked it out of the equivalent of a baby name book, right? And at some point along the way, one of my friends or a very, very early beta reader who did speak Hebrew had said, you know, that name is really not, not current. It's, it's like if you had called the character Bethel or, you know, one of these really sort of grandmothery kind of names. And by that time, we were really, really close to publication. And so... I had talked with the editor about it and said something along the lines of, here's the situation with this name. And then I explained everything that I just told you. And the publisher's like, yeah, well, I just really don't think there are going to be that many readers who are going to pick up on that. So let's just run with it as it being a weird, you know, weird name. But when the translator, <laughs> the Hebrew translator came to, to do that, they were like, uh do we have to run with this name? It just doesn't really work. And so I told him the whole story. I was like, look, if you've got a suggestion that you would like to put different names in the book, I'm totally cool with that. And so I don't actually know what the names are in the Hebrew edition, but I know they're not the same <laughs> as the English ones. <laughs> but the, the bigger issue that we ran into with translations was with Monroe's name, because of the neutral gender aspect of it. Michael, is mostly considered a masculine name. It's, it's a boy's name, even though there are women named Michael. And, and not just the feminized version of it, you know, with M Michaela or Michaela or whatever, 
there are women, and I've, I've met at least one whose name's just Michael, and also Daniel, right? I, I have met women with these very masculine, seemingly masculine names. But English is not really a gendered language per se. Like, there are some languages that don't even have pronouns for that differ for he or she, which English does. But in terms of English being a gendered language, we don't change the sentence structure or the the nouns themselves, the verbs themselves do not change based on the gender of the subject. I'm really bad at grammar, so I'm hoping I'm getting this correct. So in Spanish, for example, like the the nouns the every every noun has a gender, and then the whole ling- the whole sentences are structured around the gender of the objects that you're talking about. And so words are said multiple different ways depending on if the that the cat is a a boy word or a girl word, right? And in German, you not only have the masculine and the feminine, but you also have the neutral. So the structure of the sentence completely changes based on what the knife is, the knife of a girl, a boy, or a it, you know, <laughs> like it just, and, and in some cases there's a, there's a, a rhyme or reason to it, but in German there's not. You just have to memorize why is the knife, why is one a boy and one a girl and one a neutral, you just have to memorize them. And, and same in Spanish, maybe it makes a little bit more sense which one is which, but there's a lot of memorization that goes along with it. And in some languages, the, it goes even further where the names themselves, the name of a, a person changes the structure of how everything works. So in some countries, like I think some Slavic countries, for example, the name, a woman's name has a special ending on it that differs from a man's name. So being able to switch genders, it like totally messes up the construct of language. So English itself is not really a gendered language in comparison to these other ones. They're heavily gendered. And so I remember I ran into this problem when they were translating the informationist into French that they wanted to actually give Michael a different name when she was in the masculine form because there was no way to make having her be Michael work with the language as a woman. So even though she was in the male persona, because she was still a woman, they could not restructure the language. I I don't really understand it because I don't speak French, but I just know that this was a problem. And so there was this back and forth with the publisher about it. And finally I said, you know, the the way the way that her name is related in the second book is to Michael in the Bible, who was David's first wife. 
and it's spelled differently. It's a woman named Michael, but it's spelled M I what C H A L or something like that. And I said, so what about instead of changing her name, you just change the spelling of the name to fit a female name that actually does exist. And the publisher got back with me and said, okay, that works perfectly. Thank you. And so I, I don't ever know what happened beyond that. But I have because I don't read or speak or understand French or Czech or Romanian or any of these other languages that the the name of the character the, the the gender of the character the subject switches everything around i don't actually know how it was handled in any of the other languages it it might really not work i don't know but i've never heard from anybody about that specifically of how it was treated so my only experience is with those two instances of one somebody else's name which was my goof and then dealing with the, the, the gender-bendy aspect of Monroe's character and how that gets written and into, translated, I guess you say, into foreign languages. And it makes me wonder how, I know that language affects the way that we think. It, I mean, I'm not making that up. That's, that's, that's known, that's studies, blah, blah, blah. The, the words that we use the way that language is structured also affects our worldview and the way that we think and affects culture and everything like that. And so it makes me wonder how it would work if you're living in a country and you speak your native tongue is, is a language that is very gendered. The, the whole language is, is gendered. How that affects your thinking when it comes to creating characters and I'm not going to say like, oh, Michael is such a unique character that only someone from my time and space could ever have made her up, you know, not like that. But I'm wondering if the the way that authors write books and the way they develop their characters and the ideas that they use for developing their characters is somehow influenced by the language that they're writing in, either pro by providing more options or narrowing the scope, what have you, the type, the, the way the characters think, and then how that would then become a challenge for a translator when you're writing, when you're translating a work, you're not going to be translating only the words you're going to be translating things that have no words equivalent and also maybe even ideas or way of embracing the world that don't make a direct one-to-one -one culture to culture crossover. So when you have this situation where a translator is taking on a book, I think their involvement in it is going to have a lot to do with the outcome, like who is translating that book and their own ability to almost like an art form to work as a conduit to take the whole language, the culture, everything from one and convert it into something that maybe doesn't even have the exact words, but has a closer feel to another. I, I would think that that is as much art as it is 
technical know-how. And so, you know, you would think that translators would deserve to have their names on the cover of covers of books with the author. But when I got this question, I was like, you know, I went and checked all my foreign edition copies to see were any of the translators acknowledged on the cover? No, not on any of the ones that I looked at that I could actually read and understand. Like, I don't know, maybe the Chinese ones or the Japanese ones, maybe, but the ones that had, you know, the same letters that I read? No. <laughs> uh, and and then I got to thinking, okay, well, what did it mean that in this case of the heart that the translator was given credit on the book cover? Does that mean that they were more instrumental in the process of translating the book? Because, I mean, we know that the translator is going to have a huge impact on the reading experience, but does it mean that they were more than average involved? And so I went to look it up because I didn't know. This is all new for me. And so what I learned is that some publishers, just by default, include the translator on the cover. But that's very, very rare. That most American publishers are very reluctant to put the name of the translators on the cover because apparently when it's put right up front that the book is translated, it like almost immediately kills the audience. So their thinking is, well, don't let people know that it's translated right there on the cover. And then maybe people will read the first chapter or whatever, and then won't care that it's been translated. So that was interesting to me that it would make such a difference that a work is translated or not, what, whether somebody would pick it up. And I think that's a little bit unique to the United States because we do not, we send a lot of our books overseas and our books get translated into a lot of languages, but fewer come back this direction. So we're used to predominantly reading books by people who write in English, whereas in a lot of other countries, they get a lot of translated works coming from the United States, kind of same with our movies and everything else. So it's not as big of an issue that something has been translated. But for us, it it's like a market killer. If you put on there that it's been translated and you put the translator's name on it, so the I think the Authors Guild is trying to change that. They feel that translators deserve just as much credit as the authors and that they should get cover credit for it. But I don't really know if anything's ever going to come about from that. So that was kind of interesting to me. I, I had no idea. And so that's a very meandering discussion on the subject of translations from my own personal experience. And I just, we've never really talked about it before. I just thought it was a really great topic. I think translation is somewhat analogous to the interaction, not the in-person interaction, but, but the involvement of the, of the translator with the author is similar to that of the narrator with an author in audiobooks. So I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, you, you get a finished product that is, in a sense, a collaboration between two creative people, and the intonations and things that are used in dialogue may not be exactly what the author had in mind, and it, it may 
change a little bit of the sense of the book, but it, it kind of, it is what it is. And so it, it's not just the author's book. It's the author with this narrator's book. And I suspect it's the same with the translations. I, I would think so. I've never, my experience with reading translated books is very minimal. I do wonder though, I mean, obviously the publishers know what makes money and what doesn't. I mean, they can, they've got the sales numbers to prove it. And somewhere along the way, they've had this experience supposedly that tells them putting the the translator's name on the cover is not good for sales. But I, I, I'd be curious from our, our listening audience, if you know, tr- putting translated by on a cover would make you want to read the book or not? Does it even make any difference? I mean, the the Stieg Larsson books, the Millennial series, they were originally written in Swedish, I think, and they were like mega bestsellers in English too. So obviously that didn't stand in the way, but I'm guessing that the translator's name wasn't on the cover. I don't, I really honestly have no idea. I'm reading books right now that are translated and this would be a whole discussion for another show. I'm there. Terrible. But I don't think it was <laughs> translator's fault at all. <laughs> I don't think the translator had anything to do with the terribleness of it. And I, I do want to talk about it in another show. Um, so, right. yeah. All right. I don't so know. let's I don't know. Since, since we have a lot of authors listening to this, let's take this in a slightly different direction and just veer off into getting translations if you're an author. And in the case of traditionally published authors, that's something that your agent would deal with. As that's the way it happened with you, right? Or your publisher, depending well, yeah, on yeah. I'm how sorry, the agent, agent, publisher. Yes, so they they sell the yeah. rights, and someone takes care of it, and you and you just get paid. The company that I yeah, work so with, like if we translate a lot of our own books, and. So we have direct interaction with the translators. And so that it, that's kind of funny. You mentioned some, some slight changes that would, that would come along. And we, we'll get a list of questions with every book. Like, what did the author mean by this? Where in English, it's perfectly clear because it's jargon or something like that. And uh, it just slang. doesn't translate for them. Yes, yeah, slang. It's like, what, what do you mean by this? And then you have to explain it, and then they have to use the language that works on their part, which, to a certain extent, changes the book. But the, the point that I wanted to get to, you mentioned thrillers selling really well in Germany. One way to, to get a sense of how your books would do in another language is to look and see how they do sales-wise in other countries. So for us... The most popular country for sales that wasn't an English language country was Germany. So that was the first country where we started doing translations. And that's worked out really well for us because we already had an audience there that, as Taylor said, they were they wanted to read the books and they would read them in English. But then they really wanted to read them in in German or, you know, whatever the whatever the local language is. And I listened to a podcast interview with C.J. Box. One time, and C.J. Box, if you don't, if you're not familiar with him, he writes. A, it's not a Western series, but it's it's a series that takes place in the West. I think the main character is a sheriff. I've never read any of his books, so I, I could be wrong on this. But there's a Western theme to it, and when the 
podcast host asked him what language was the most popular for translations. I was shocked when he said Japan and Japanese was where he sold the most books. Uh, that was just stunning to me. I, I was expecting Germany or something completely different, not Japan. So I guess you just never know. Do you happen to know, yeah. Taylor, what the most popular language is for your books other than English? Well, if we count it by how many books have been translated into that particular language, it would be Czech. Hmm. They had in Czech in in the Czech Republic, they've had I've had more of my books translated than any other country. Germany would be next, I think, after that. That's interesting. So that implies uh, that they sell well there, or they, they wouldn't keep yes. acquiring the rights. Yes, and then when I, when I look at my statements, like it takes a lot of time for the information to trickle back, because like maybe the foreign publisher only does their accounting every six months, and then they'll send that information to my publisher, who only does their accounting every six months, and depending on where everything falls in their line, it could take up to two years for me to finally get the information back. But from what I can tell, the copies, there, there are countries that have earned out. So like when they bought the rights, once you earn out, like they've sold enough copies to cover all of the percentages and whatever, then you start getting royalties off those foreign copies as well. And so there are a few countries that have earned out on the, the foreign translations. And Czech is one of them that I think those books, so they've done well in terms of what their expectations are locally, but I don't know in terms of actual numbers, sales numbers, where the they have sold the most because the only way for me to know that is if the book is earned out and I see how many copies above the earnout are selling, which doesn't tell you anything about mm -hmm. how many copies they had to sell to reach that spot. Interesting. All right. Well, I hope we answered Nancy's question. Well, I know we didn't because <laughs> we don't know <laughs> if there's been any comments on, you know, people who read in two languages and if they find the translations different. But if any of our listeners have experience with that or have family members or friends who have experience with that we'd love the feedback because this is a, a topic that we just don't really have a lot of personal experience with in, in that side of it so let us know and then we'll tell the world what you had to say well thank you nancy for the question and thank you guys for listening we will be back with you again next tuesday see you guys next week <laughs>